Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! One day away from training camp. What's up, Dolphins? fans? And welcome into the Wednesday, July the 25th edition, the last day of the offseason of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are going to be talking all things safeties with Kevin Dern, part five of the defensive preview piece up right now on LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as this podcast here for you guys. But before we get into that, I kindly invite each and every one of you that have not done so already to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com as well as the other LockedOn Sports family of podcasts like the LockedOn Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast. For all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams, again, we have the safeties and training camp to get to. Let's go ahead and kick things off with Kevin Dern. That's another Miami Dolphins. And rolling into our fifth podcast here with Kevin Dern, talking about the Miami Dolphins defense. Again, you guys can find his piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com, titled the defensive preview for the season for the Miami Dolphins in 2018. Of course, you have all of my position group breakdowns, talking more about the contracts, the roles on the team, that type of thing. Kevin with the X's and O's on that piece. And we are just one day away from camp now recording this podcast on the 25th of July. Kevin, what's happening, man? Oh, not too much. Happy to be talking some Dolphins football, finally. It's been a long day for us talking lots of football here. And one of the things I wanted to talk about with the safeties, because we have fewer guys on this position group as the other ones we talked about, was the coaching change in the backfield and talking more about Tony Oden and Ronaldo Hill as his assistant. And Ronaldo Hill coached at Pittsburgh last year, the University of Pittsburgh, that is, uh, in their secondary. So they bring over Oden from Detroit. They bring over Hill from the University of Pittsburgh. What kind of changes are we going to see this year? Does that signal the dime defense we've been asking for all along? And is everything going to be as seamless and as easy as we hope it is? Or like, what's going on with these guys as far as coverage and scheme goes? Yeah, so I think the important thing to understand about Tony Oden is – He's actually got the background of Nick Saban. He, Tony Oden worked with Mel Tucker uh, when Mel Tucker was an assistant with Oden on the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2012. Mel Tucker's days with Nick Saban date all the way back to when Nick Saban was the head coach of Michigan State. He was a grad assistant for him in 97 and 98. One of the players on the roster of Michigan State in 98 was Renato Hill. So there's that whole cycle there dating back to Nick Saban, even though Tony Oden has never directly worked under Nick Saban. He does a lot of that pattern matching stuff. I think now with Minka Fitzpatrick on board, we're going to finally see some 6DB, some dime packages on the field. Uh, Tony Oden even used 7DBs. I think the Detroit Lions were third in the league using 7DBs last year after the Patriots and Jets. Um, it wasn't a huge percentage at the time. I think it was like 10 or 11%, something like that. But, you know, that's infinitely more than what we saw with Miami. Um, so I think Minka Fitzpatrick is really the, the key cog that, that frees up Miami's coverage scheme and their ability to rely less on 
linebackers and coverage. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what they do this year. And Minka talked about in his press availability back in OTAs, this is the same defense he played in Alabama. And obviously with the fronts that we see with Alabama and Miami, he's not talking about that. So he's talking about the coverages on the back end. And I just think that doing things that will help him, and I, he never was going to have a problem with communication or getting the playbook down. He was always going to be ready. That's just the kind of player and the kind of young man that he is. But I think that getting him in a position where you can make him more versatile, make him more comfortable, get him playing at a faster speed than he ever has, just makes every difference in the world for this defense. As he kind of becomes one of the most important players, not just in the secondary, but on the team in general. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think he, at least on the defensive side of the ball, for sure. I mean, they were looking at Kenny Vaccaro in the offseason before the draft, and it seems like he was going to be the guy that could kind of float around for them, play some big nickel, maybe use some safety, even though that's kind of where he struggled with the Saints. And then I think that maybe they just didn't see Minka Fitzpatrick making it to him at that point in the draft, and they've been addressing all the holes on the off, on the roster this offseason. And to be able to go into the draft and get a guy that you feel like might be your best addition is such a boon for a football team that has struggled in the draft in previous years, maybe not recent years, but going back, you know, backdated several years ago. Pre-Chris Greer. Yeah, exactly, before we started actually finding some quality starters on the draft class. So Minka Fitzpatrick, for my money, is the best addition this team has made in the offseason, and he hasn't even played it down yet. Is that crazy to say that? No, I don't think so at all. I remember um, you had did your uh, draft pieces about guys that could be there at number 11. And I did the prospect reviews back in the spring before the draft. I didn't even write about yeah. Minka Fitzpatrick or Derwin James because you had covered them already. Uh, I think I included like one blurb about Minka Fitzpatrick would be my favorite prospect for Miami. And I remember when they drafted him, I just sat there stunned for like 15 or 20 seconds because I couldn't believe they actually, you know, drafted the guy that, I thought would be the best player, yeah. let alone in being there. I didn't think he'd get past seven mm. um, until Tampa Bay traded out of that pick. So I love it. Um, I think he's going to be a key to what they do coverage wise. Um, you can play him as a split safety with Rashad Jones. You can play him as a deep third safety, um, you know, for kind of more information on that. I know you had Brett Coleman on the podcast. His film room sessions are awesome. Uh, he did one on Minka Fitzpatrick. Go watch it. Do yourself a favor. Go watch it. Brett does great work. Second down. Um, yeah, but um, I think you could use him in the slot when you want to play those big nickel formations. I think one of the things you and I know Chris Kaufman talked about it was how bad they were covering tight ends out of a base personnel set last year. And maybe you use him as a sort of a strong safety that's really covering the tight end um, in those looks. And you can kind of let Rashad be sort of a, a free safety, quote-unquote, in those looks. So I think there's just a number of different ways you can use Minka Fitzpatrick. I think if you go to a true dime package, maybe you use him as your second slot defender with Bobby McCain on the other side and use McDonald and Jones back deep. Um, there's just so many different roles he can do and he's so versatile. He can blitz, he can cover, he plays the run. Well, he's a pretty sure tackler. I'm just, I'm thrilled with the pick and hopefully they use him in all those different ways moving forward. I think that'll really help out the defense, especially in the nickel and on. I know they were very bad on, on third and six plus last year. I think it's very telling that we're starting this podcast talking about a rookie draft pick over a guy that might be the best player on the football team and kind of what Minka Fitzpatrick does in regards to mitigating some of the 
cost of Rashad Jones's big contract. We'll talk about that next on Lockdown Dolphins podcast. It's at Wingful NFL. He is at Kevin MD4, and the show is at Lockdown Fins. So the safety position is the last one we're doing here. It's July 25th. Camp opens tomorrow. Practice is going on. We're going to be covering those practices on the podcast as well as LockdownDolphins.com. But this position might be the most set in stone in terms of the two starters with Rashad Jones and Mika Fitzpatrick. And Rashad Jones gets a new contract, uh, restructures it this year, I should say. Easy enough for me to say, but he is here through 2021 with some insane dead money hits. The next two years, he is definitely not going anywhere. A dead money cap hit of 28 million this year, 23 next year, and then it falls down to 8 million in 2020 at age 32. So my question to you, Kevin, is we've seen this guy have some outstanding seasons. I think he came back next year or last year and really improved upon what was a bit of a slow start in the preseason. I remember everyone was kind of nervous about him coming off the shoulder injury and he wasn't necessarily playing his best football at the time. Comes back in 2017 and starts to really ramp things up towards the end, played more like himself. But he, I talked to Joe Shad back in November and he said that Rashad was never feeling 100% healthy that year. It was, it was starting to come along towards the end of the year. So is this guy going to be able to play at a high level deep into this contract as he is now 30 years old? Is he still going to be a Pro Bowl level player? Or what can we expect going forward with Rashad in this new defense? I think so. And for me, that game that we had at Kansas City, I know the Dolphins lost. That was one of the best games I've ever seen from a safety um, in Rashad Jones. I think really the only games I've seen that were better were some by Ed Reed, who's you know a first ballot Hall of Famer. So the goat. I was really impressed um, with Rashad. I think if he gives you the same level of play that he did last year, especially the last eight or nine games of the season, um, he's going to be fine unless there's injuries involved. And he's really only ever had the one injury, which was the shoulder, which was kind of a freak thing back in 2016. So I'm not too worried about it. And I think one of the other things that'll, that'll kind of help him is we had what four different guys last year played safety next to him throughout the course of the season Nate Allen, Michael Thomas, Marie Smith, and TJ McDonald. I think this year, if you're basically going to have Minka Fitzpatrick there, maybe use TJ McDonald in certain packages, I think that'll really help out just kind of limiting the number of guys Rashad has to play with. I think having Minka there allows him to play in the box where he's just you know phenomenal against the run. He can do some things coverage-wise. He's a phenomenal blitzer. Um, I think if you can kind of simplify his responsibilities – it helps the whole defense just because he's, in my opinion, he's the best player on the entire team right now. And he's he's never had that counterpart that really brought the most out of him. Even the best guy that I think we had with him, whether it was Chris Clemens or Lewis uh, Delmas, Delmas was kind of the similar player that he was in the same way that McDonald was a similar player as Rashad. So you couldn't necessarily use him in the way that really accentuates his best traits as a football player. So now they have a guy that I think just opens everything up for Rashad Jones in Minka Fitzpatrick. But let's go back to that money real quick here, Kevin, because I'm looking over these cap numbers. This year, he's only due four point. Okay, so we'll call it $5 million bucks as part mm-hmm. of the cap. That was part of his restructure. But look at these numbers the following three seasons. Like I said, $17 million to the cap in 2019. The, the dead money is more if you cut him, significantly more, $23 million. 2020, he's due $15 million against the cap, and there's $8 dead million, eight million dead money if you cut him that season. And then 2021, as a 33-year-old, he is due $14.5 million with only a $4 million cap hit if you cut him. So do you think he survives that contract? You know what? I think he does. Um, 
You know, he, he didn't play a whole lot his first year or two in the league. You know, he was kind of just a special teams guy. So I don't think he's got as much mileage, you know, as maybe he could have had. Um, and like I said, he's really only ever had the one injury, which was the freak shoulder injury. I had one myself. I get it. It happens. Um, otherwise, I think he really does. You know, I mean, good for him. That's a good business by him and his agent getting him paid, you know, especially on, you know, this stage of his career. But uh, I think he does survive at least the first two years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think his level of play isn't going to drop off to the point where you're just like, you know, oh, my God, this is another Andre Branch or Kiko Alonso situation. <laughs> I, I just don't see it. Yeah, he won't play himself into a position where we're worried about him, at least not in the near future. I mean, this, like you said, this is a guy that with Cam Wake, I think, is the best football player on the team. And he, he acts like Cam Wake off the field the way he treats his body and, and takes care of yeah. himself. And I think the play that he injured his shoulder on was that interception that he had against Ben Roethlisberger, which is one of the best catches I've ever seen a defensive back make in my life. So he just offers that playmaking ability, that that presence within the box. You've talked about this a million times, the strong side C-gap run defender. There's no one better in the business. I love watching him get around that edge on those third and short plays where he cuts the running back down for a TFL. But I, I'm really excited about these two guys, Kev. But the third guy I'm nervous about, and you've referenced him on a couple of the podcasts we've done so far this week. Of course, that's TJ McDonald. We'll talk about him on the other side of the podcast here. It's at Weekly NFL. He is at KevinMD4, and the show is at LockedOnFins. And Kevin, we are rolling into our final segment here before we have training camp practices to talk about new information, new data, new developments. I cannot wait for it, man. It's been a long, long offseason. So much divisiveness amongst the fan base from the national media. We have so much to prove this year. Let's go ahead and finish off this position here with a guy that got a big contract pretty much unsolicited last year at the end of camp. I'm talking, of course, about TJ McDonald coming back as possibly the third safety, possibly a pseudo linebacker. He has a contract that has him here through 2021. He, If they cut him after next year, he'd be a dead cap of $6.5 million. But after 2020, his dead cap is only $1.9 million. So I think he's here for the next couple of years. What's his role going to be in those next couple of years? Is he going to be the third safety only? Is he going to play some linebacker? Where do you have McDonald shaking out in the next coming years? Yeah, I mean, I would say, first of all, the, the contract extension thing was just bad business. So mm. we'll just we'll set that aside. It's done. <laughs> It is what it is. Um, I think with him, there's going to be times when he's going to be playing, you know, as kind of a split safety or even a single high safety, depending on what they do with Minka Fitzpatrick in terms of matchups and things like that. I think where his role is really going to be is kind of as a as a dime backer. You know, he might be a guy that maybe you you bring in for Raquan McMillan when you only have one linebacker on the field just to have some extra speed up up front in the box against backs or something like that. I think you could use him as sort of the third linebacker, even kind of like how the, the Rams did when they first moved out to L.A. Um, that year. He kind of played sort of a, you know, the Rams kind of played with four safeties and, you know, only one true linebacker on the field. So I could see him filling that role in certain snaps. Um, you know, I, I don't think he should be a starter. I, I think, you know, he's never going to play up to the rest of that contract unless you know, there's an injury to someone and he gets to be a full-time starter. But uh, I'm actually kind of intrigued by what he could do as sort of that overhang defender in the box and nickel or dime packages. And I think it does allow you some flexibility having him on the roster to move Minka Fitzpatrick around if you want to play him as a slot defender or if you want to have him matched up on, you know, a particular player. Um, 
I mean, you could do a lot worse as a third safety, I guess, is what I'm really getting at. So Yeah, I, I feel like he's, as a third safety, he's better than a lot of the number two safeties we've had over yeah. the last five, six, seven years. And so that's nice to have. And you talked about this at the linebacker position a couple of podcasts ago and how the linebacker group might not necessarily be, okay, you're playing this amount of snaps today and, and so forth. It might be more about, okay, this is the matchup we have and this is what we're going to do to attack that matchup. You know, you're getting the call this week opposed to someone else who's going to maybe take a, a little bit of a, a demotion in rep count. And is that something that's going to happen with McDonald where he gets into the box, he gets into the linebacker role based upon who we're playing? Yeah, I can see that. And I guess just to kind of use the example we talked about with Christian McCaffrey and the Panthers last year, maybe if you have a, a team like that, or maybe we might even see it against Tennessee week one when they bring in Deion Lewis, maybe in nickel packages you have TJ McDonald and Jerome Baker come onto the field just to have a little bit more coverage ability and you give Raquan McMillan and Kiko Alonso a breather. Um, I think basically what they've done is set themselves up to where the entire back seven can almost be kind of, it's almost like a menu where you can kind of pick and choose what you want, depending on who you're playing and what those matchups are, which I, I think is much different from last year where they were kind of just stuck with, you know, Kiko Alonso, Lawrence Timmons, and then, you know, they finally figured out what Stephon Anthony could do towards the end of the year because they just didn't have those those depth players in the secondary. Now they do. So I think really it's just going to be a week-to-week thing. And, you know, maybe there are some weeks where T.J. McDonald plays more snaps at linebacker than, the, you know, the traditional third linebacker does. Um, maybe there's other weeks where he doesn't. So it'll be interesting to see. And part of the thing that makes me excited about all of this is I think that the way Adam Gaze kind of surrounded himself with guys on the offensive side of the football in terms of the coaching staff are guys that can give him ideas, bounce ideas off of him, and try to help him realize the vision that he has for this group on offense. And you go to the defensive side of the football, and they brought in a lot of experience with Tony Oden, and we're going to call him Coach Chris again. (laughs) He brought in so much experience in terms of years in the league from those guys, and I think that only helps Matt Burke take his scheme from what he sees it being to what he can actually make it be in the future with the Dolphins. And that brings me to a point I want to finish here with you on. And just Matt Burke, you've been one of the bigger Matt Burke proponents of anybody that I know. And I trust your word on him just because of your your knowledge of the wide nine in general. And where do you think he takes this defense? Do you think his imprints are going to be all over it this year? Is it going to be a lot different? Do you, like, I mean, I, I don't really know exactly what I'm asking you here, but I guess just to riff on Matt Burke a little bit. Yeah, I think if he's smart, he'll he'll take a lot of what Tony Oden did in Detroit and incorporate that into his coverage schemes. Um, I think Detroit was far more diverse than what Miami was last year. But I think if he does that, and he seems pretty open to doing it if you're going to go out and hire you know a guy like Tony Oden in the first place, I think they really did have some pretty good game plans against some good offenses last year, you know. I think they were one of the few teams that held the New Orleans Saints under a hundred yards rushing and you know, the offense got shut out that game, but holding the Saints to 20 points is, is pretty respectable, in my opinion. Um, you know, they played lights out against Atlanta in Atlanta the second half of that ball game, and they really only gave up a couple big plays because of missed assignments in the first half. Otherwise, they played pretty well that game. You know, they held the Patriots to 0 for 11 on third down in the Monday night game. I think he really does come up with some good game plans. I think last year he was a little bit more beholden to playing the linebackers, but that's also where his you know coaching experience has been. He's been a linebackers coach dating all the way back to his days with the Titans. Um, 
So I don't know. I, I think the defense will improve, you know, in terms of points allowed. I think they'll improve in total defense and passing defense. I think the run defense might stay about the same or even dip a little. Um, but I think when all said and done, if they can kind of be like a top 12 or even top half defense, you know, I think that probably leads to at least nine or 10 wins, assuming things go according to plan on the other side of the ball. Um, and I do think that was one of the biggest things last year that hurt the defense was we had, what, three games, well, two games where Miami got shut out and then the game against the Jets on the road, they scored on the very last play. So yeah. technically <laughs> could have been three shutouts. Um, if they And I think Miami was something like 24th or 26th in the league in terms of time of possession on offense. There were a lot of games where the, the defense just kind of got left on the field to rot. And I think better complementary football will really help. And I know a lot of people hear Adam Gase when he says, you know, this defense is built to play with the lead. And they think, oh, well, it's not a good system if that's the case. I think they're taking it in the wrong context. I think if you can go out and you know get a 10 or a 14-point lead, that gives you the opportunity if you're Matt Burke to kind of unleash all these waves of pass rushers and get teams into third and long, and you can use all these exotic coverages and you know play press man and bring all these crazy blitzes and stuff. They really never had that chance last year, you know, in many of the ball games. You know, none that I can really think of jump out other than maybe New England on Monday night. Um, and even they lost the lead in the first half for a minute. So I think he's going to do better than people think. Um, I know he's always been listed on those lists of, you know, potential future head coaches. I tend to think we're still a year or two away from that happening. But I think the defense will be better than than people expect it to be. That's kind of my take this year, unless they just get hit with you know tons of injuries. Whenever I do these interviews, Kev, I always have a notepad next to me that I write down my questions to follow up with you on. And I had three mm-hmm. written down, and you checked them all off the box. So I think that's going to oh, have wow. to do it for us. I, I I don't know what else to say other than maybe uh, <laughs> I guess our normal wrap up. Just say uh, say good night, Kevin. Good night, Kevin. And we say goodbye to Kevin for the last time on the training camp previews here as he gives his famed Macaulay Culkin home alone good night, Kevin sign-off. And that's going to do it for the podcast here, guys. Next time I talk to you, we'll be talking about training camp practice on Thursday morning, the 26th. The Miami Dolphins hit the field for the first time in 2018, and the journey officially begins. We'll talk about that on that podcast, but that will do it for today's podcast. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review once you are there. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. The show is at LockedOnFins, and you can find us as always on LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a terrific rest of your night and training camp eve. We'll talk to you again tomorrow with another additional Locked On Dolphins podcast, the daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.